Hi, this is James Rudd and welcome to this episode of The Heart Podcast. On this episode, I have an interesting discussion with the editor-in-chief of Heart, Professor Catherine Otto from Seattle. We talk about some recent developments in aortic stenosis treatment, particularly the two recently presented studies at the ACC 2019 meeting, the Evolute trial and the Partner 3 study. And we also discuss how the assessment and treatment of patients with aortic stenosis has changed over the last 20 or 30 years. And finally, we introduce a supplement to Heart Journal, which is concerned with aortic stenosis treatment evaluation. And uh, I think everybody will find something of interest in there. At the end, Professor Otto teases the fact that we might be able to one day prevent patients getting aortic stenosis. So stay tuned. Please leave us a review in iTunes, and I hope you enjoy the show. Today I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by the Editor-in-Chief of Heart, Professor Catherine Otto. Catherine, many thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me on this podcast. Catherine, I wanted to discuss a couple of things with you, uh, and one of them is the supplement that has recently appeared in Heart, which is all about the treatment of aortic stenosis. And also, in relation to that, I know you've recently attended the ACC meeting, and uh, there are a couple of very important, very widely publicized trials all about TAVA, or TAVI as we call it in the UK, in uh, low-risk patients. Yeah, I think it's a very exciting information, and I think, you know, with this new data coming out about transcatheter valves, I think this supplement that came out just recently in heart is going to be especially helpful to readers in trying to put that information into context. I'll just briefly summarize the, the two trials for those who haven't read all about them uh, on the internet so far. The first one was the Partner 3 study. This was a study of 1,328 low-risk patients with an STS score less than 4%. An average score was 1.9%. The average age of enrolled patients was 73 years, and 70% of the patients enrolled were males. It was a randomized study comparing surgically implanted bioprosthetic valves and the Edward Sapien S3 valve in the TAVA group. And the usual exclusion criteria applied, including bicuspid aortic valve. The primary outcome in this study was a composite of all-cause mortality, stroke, and rehospitalization at one year. And the endpoint occurred in 8.5% of the TAVA group and 15.1% of the SAVA arm. And in terms of uh, secondary endpoints, atrial fibrillation and length of stay, as you might expect, were lower in the TAVR arm, and bleeding was lower in the SAVR arm. And there was no difference in this study in the rate of pacemaker or moderate to severe paravalvular regurgitation. So Catherine, can I have your immediate thoughts on that, uh, the Partner 3 study, and then we'll go into the second trial. Yeah, I think this is, you know, very important information. And, um, you know, this kind of information is really changing the, the paradigm of how we think about patients with aortic stenosis who need a valve replacement. You know, if we've made the choice of a bioprosthetic valve uh, as being appropriate in that patient, really no longer looking at surgical risk as being the factor that determines whether they're going to get a, a transcatheter valve or a surgical valve, but, it, but instead we're going to be thinking more about, you know, what is the patient's life expectancy and what is the valve durability in that patient. So let's, let's, let's add the, uh, the other study into this too and then continue our discussion. Okay, so the second study was called the Evolute Low-Risk Trial, 
That involved uh, 1,400 patients, so 700 in each arm, and the average STS, so surgical, uh, the Society of Thoracic Surgeons score, it's a, it's a measure of uh, risk preoperatively, was 1.9 in this trial, with an average age very similar to the previous study of 74 years. Women in this study were 33% of those enrolled, and the valve in this study was the Evolute R and Pro versions, which is, I understand, a self-expanding uh, system. And this was a non-inferiority study, demonstrated that the rate of death with TAVA using the self-expanding system was non-inferior to SAVR, so 4.5% at a two-year follow-up. And the rate of disabling stroke was 1.1% in the TAVA arm, compared with 3.5% in the SAVA arm, again, at a two-year follow-up time. Secondary endpoint, as previously, was atrial fibrillation, which was significantly higher in the SAVA group. The rate of permanent pacemaker implantation was 17.4% in the TAVA arm compared to 6.1% in the surgical arm. And uh, I think those are the important endpoints that we are going to discuss. Does that uh, complement the first trial? I think it does, in my view. Obviously, a completely different TAVA valve system, but very similar outcomes. Yeah, I think so. They both definitely show that uh, the transcatheter approach is at least equivalent and potentially superior to surgery over this one to two year time frame. And and the the presenters kept calling it a class effect, which I agree with. Um, you know, the one big difference is the pacemaker implantation in the um, in the self expanding valve, which was still very high at about about seventeen percent. So that's a concern. But, you know, that's where I come back to, you know, so if I see a patient with aortic stenosis who is meeting criteria for valve replacement, you know, we, you know, transcatheter valve is no longer, you know, an unusual thing to do. It's becoming very much a standard. And I think the question is going to be, you know, how do we decide, you know, who goes to transcatheter valve replacement, who goes to, to surgical valve replacement? And, you know, the primary consideration, if I, you come back and look at our, our supplement to heart, the first article is a, is a summary of the UK uh, TAVI registry, which is, you know, very interesting talking about how there's an increasing use of bioprosthetic valves, um, both at surgery, you know, at surgery as well, even in younger patients, even in people under age 60. You know, my concern is, is what's our life expectancy at the time the valve is implanted and how durable are these valves? So, you know, we can get life expectancy from standard life table charts that are available online for each country. And in the U.S., a 70-year-old woman still has an average life expectancy of 16 years. So, you know, half the women are going to live longer than 16 years at eight, if they're 70 at the time of valve implantation. Whereas a, a, 33, a, a 50-year-old has a life expectancy of 33 years, so quite long, um, and durability of surgical valves, um, the bioprosthetic valves, the history is that, that the surgical bioprosthetic valves are more durable the older the patient is. That, and durability has been assessed in previous studies by reoperation, not echocardiographic criteria. But even so, you know, the 15-year risk of reoperation is only about 5% if you're a 70-year-old when the valve is implanted versus a 50-year-old getting a valve implanted would have a reoperation risk of 25% at 15 years. So there's that concern that bioprosthetic valves in younger patients, you know, may not be durable. And for transcatheter valves, we have we have robust data out to five years, but we don't have 10 or 15 year data. So so we don't really know how durable are these valves. 
And the other big issue, of course, is that of bicuspid aortic valve disease, which seems to be a different pathological process to what you might call degenerative aortic stenosis. And I noticed that both trials excluded patients with bicuspid aortic valve disease. Yeah, they at least excluded people that they can tell have a bicuspid valve. I always am concerned that there probably are people with bicuspid valves in there. Yeah, because the concerns with a bicuspid valve is, you know, first of all, patients are often much younger at the time they need their valve replaced. You know, and then and then secondly, you know, when the transcatheter valve is implanted, you know, will the, the shape of the implanted valve be ideal? Will it be exactly circular? Will it not have any uh, issues with bending in from the calcification or the asymmetry of the valve? Because I think our concern with transcatheter valves, and it'd be wonderful if they're durable, but the, the concern is that, that, that the crimping of the valve to get it into the into the uh, aorta and then the expansion of the valve, you know, may result in increased stress on the leaflet tissue. And then that combined with potentially uh, not completely symmetric deployment of the valve might result in, in early valve degeneration, at least in some patients. And, um, and we're going to just have to watch and see how that plays out over time. And to get back to the supplement, some other Authors of uh, pieces in the supplement have raised issues about um, not just the valve durability, but also things like vascular complications uh, through the femoral artery. And also, as you say, in the high rate of pacemaker implantation, uh, particularly in the uh, second trial. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, if we think, you know, the, the surgeons have several other choices too. You know, we have a minimally invasive surgical valve replacement, which is appropriate in some patients. We have, you know, sutureless aortic valve prostheses. And the other concern is that, you know, the issue of patient prosthesis mismatch following aortic valve replacement is well known. And surgeons have worked very hard at putting in larger valves and using enlarging procedures when necessary to ensure adequate valve size. And with the transcatheter valve, you know, the, the size of the annulus is the size we have to work with. And although the transcatheter valves have very excellent hemodynamics in most patients, we still do see this patient prosthesis mismatch issue. So if we think about a patient with valve disease, having their valve replaced is just one short episode in their lifetime of valve disease. And over their entire lifetime, we have to consider, you know, should they have a larger surgical valve as their first intervention and perhaps have transcatheter valve and valve later in life, or should they start with a transcatheter valve with the expectation they might need another one later? Or, you know, at what point do we decide, you know, which valve in a particular patient, given that they still are going to have valve disease after the procedure? Now they have a prosthetic valve instead of a native valve, but it's still not a normal valve. And any idea about this pacemaker issue? Is this simply just a result of being early on the, the learning curve for some centers, or is it an innate problem with the implantation technique or the prosthesis? Do you have any, any clues about that? Yeah, I think, you know, again, there's a really interesting paper in the uh, heart supplement that I think uh, those interested in transcatheter valves want to look at, which is called a patient-specific computer simulation for transcatheter cardiac interventions. And, you know, it talks about, you know, how the valve fits in there and what the pressure and forces are. And I think the, the concern is that both paravalvular regurgitation and the pacer, you know, could be related to, to the 3D anatomy of the valve and the stress on the annulus and surrounding tissues. So one would be hopeful that with different valve design, we could re reduce the number of needed pacemakers or perhaps 
we could use this kind of patient computer simulation, you know, using the patient's actual imaging and the valve we plan to implant to decide exactly which valve in that patient and where and how the valve should be implanted to minimize the risk of pacer implantation. And just to make it a more uh, personal discussion, I know you work in a, in a center which has a large uh, TAVR uh, program and also a large surgical program. How's your practice changed over the last, say, five years as TAVR has come to the fore? I mean, what percentage of patients are you now recommending a, a TAVR procedure ahead of surgery? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. And, um, and it's kind of interesting because in my clinic yesterday, it was like everybody who came in yesterday had a mechanical valve. It was like mechanical valve day. But, you know, I have patients who have had mechanical bileaflet aortic valve in for 20 or 30 years, have been on Coumadin that entire time, you know, vitamin K antagonist therapy, and have done well. Um, so I think we should remember that mechanical valves are still a reasonable option. So in my younger patients, under age 50 for sure, and maybe even under age 60, we certainly discuss the option of a mechanical valve. And if the patient you know, cannot take uh, anticoagulation or there's some medical reason they shouldn't or they simply lifestyle-wise, um, you know, they, might, they might choose to go with a bioprosthetic valve, but I think they need to understand you know, what the implication of that is, the, the trade-off of they won't need to be on, on anticoagulation. They have less risk of bleeding and thrombosis, but they will probably need another intervention at some point, um, often not too far in the future, depending on how, how young they are, because 10 years is not that long and some of those valves wear out. Whereas if they go with a mechanical valve, they might not ever need another uh, surgical or even transcatheter intervention. So the younger patients, that's one of the considerations, but even just as described in the UK TAVI registry, more and more of those patients choose biologic valves. Young women want to have children, and a biologic valve is safer in that situation. Young men often have sports and activities that, that, uh, where anticoagulation would be uh, suboptimal, and uh, so many of them do choose that. And again, I think it'll be interesting to see where, where that evolves over time. But when patients get up into the age, you know, 50 to 70 year age range, as the guidelines say, I think we pretty much know that the outcomes are very similar with biologic and mechanical valves. So at that point, I think, you know, bioprosthesis is perfectly reasonable. But in that age range, I'm still, you know, thinking, should they have surgery or should they have a transcatheter valve? Because, you know, a 50 year old has a quite a long life expectancy and we don't know the durability of transcatheter valves, whereas there's a large published literature on durability of surgical valves. So patient discussion, you know, um, which do they prefer? You know, I think, you know, any of us would, would pick not having surgery over having surgery if the outcomes are equivalent. But my patients anyway are very, usually very intelligent and educated and willing to read and, and learn about things. And so I try to actively involve them in here's your choices and here's the trade-offs. But when you get into the, you know, over age 70 and certainly over age 75, I think given this, the recent studies showing that even in patients with low surgical risk, that outcomes are as good or better with transcatheter valve, definitely those patients are often going pretty much straight to the transcatheter group um, for a transcatheter valve. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good summary. And, and thank you very much for uh for educating us all, Catherine, with your uh, vast experience of valvular heart disease. I will put a link to the heart supplement in the show notes for people to go and digest those articles. There's quite a few covering all aspects of treatment of aortic stenosis, not just TAVA, but surgical techniques as well. 
And uh, I want to thank you very much, Catherine, for joining me today. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you.